and welcome to Teferit Talk, the bi-monthly podcast of Teferit Journal, a magazine dedicated to promoting tolerance through literature and art. I'm Gail Brandeis. I'm the new editor-in-chief of Teferit, and I'm so delighted to be with you here tonight, especially with Molly Peacock as our first guest of 2017. Molly Peacock's a poet I've admired for many, many years. She is the author most recently of The Analyst, which is a fabulous new poetry collection published by Norton. It explores the relationship between therapist and patient after the therapist survives a brain hemorrhage. It's a truly gorgeous and moving book and also really inspiring for me as a writer because it's full of different forms, everything from sonnet to villanelle to prose poems to free verse, uh, just so beautifully done. Molly Peacock has written several other books of poetry, of course, as well as a memoir called Paradise Piece by Peace, a wonderful biography, The Paper Garden, An Artist Begins Her Life's Work at 72, Short Fiction, Alphabetique, 26 Characteristic Fictions, which is so much fun. Um, there's a little section for each letter of the alphabet, and it's, it's just delightful. And the guidebook, How to Read a Poem and Start a Poetry Circle. She is also the editor of a collection of creative nonfiction, The Private Eye, Privacy in a Public World, and the co-editor of Poetry in Motion, 100 Poems from the Subways and Buses, which is a program she helped create. She performed a one-woman staged monologue in poems, The Shimmering Verge, in theaters throughout North America. In addition to all of these great books, Molly Peacock is former poet in residence at the American Poets Corner and President Emerita of the Poetry Society of America. For 10 years, she conducted quarterly poetry circles on Wisconsin Public Radio. She's received awards and fellowships from many foundations and arts councils, many, many, many of them, including the National Endowment of the Arts, which, as we all know, is, is imperiled right now, and we hope will survive so it can continue to support wonderful writers like Molly Peacock. And she is based in Toronto and New York. Hello, so Gail. Del- it's so great to have you here. I'm just so delighted to hear your voice. Voice to voice, um, after reading you for so many years, I just gave a, um, your wonderful bio, and it's really such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being here at Safari Talk with us. I and am absolutely I'm really, delighted. Thank you so much, and I'm, I'm so eager to discuss your new book, The Analyst, which um, in my introduction I, I mentioned just how much I love it and the different forms that you play with within it. And, um, you know, I was wondering, you, in your first poem, you call your therapist of 38 years your intimate witness, which, of yes. course, she was because she shared so much of your life. And I found that as a reader, I became another kind of intimate witness in the book. And I'm curious to know about the evolution of this project and whether you envisioned a book-length project with readers in mind from the start after your therapist had the stroke or if these poems started out more as something that you wrote sort of for your own processing um, and just wrote it for yourself after the stroke. So I I always love getting a behind the scenes look at a book and I would love to hear your process with putting together um, this book. Yes. This book is all about being behind the scenes in a way. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, 
I don't want to um, retell this story to your audience, so I'm not quite sure what you said about what prompted the poems in the book. My, I've been, uh, I have been in first in therapy and then in analysis, um, not for 38 years straight Woody Allen style, but <laughs> um, <laughs> for um, in stages. Uh, first in uh, in a town in upstate New York, um, as I was deciding to leave a young marriage, then I went off to graduate school and and um, needed a lot of help deciding whether I really could commit to being a poet and began uh, therapy again. Then, as time went on, um, I decided that. Uh, it was time for me to um, really seize the opportunity to enter into a, a full analysis, which I did for several years. And then we went into another phase where it was a, it was a long um, decade, at least, of just periodic check-ins of calling to work work on something. So the first couple of phases were in person, and then the next long phase was largely on the telephone, although sometimes in person. And I never thought about writing about this. I, I, I mean, how many artists are in therapy right this minute? <laughs> um, but how few people decide to write about it? And so it was only it was only the the um, extravagant situation of her sudden stroke uh, that that was you know so tragic and so powerful for her to lose so much of her memory, and for me then to begin mem- remembering everything. Mm-hmm. And try to mm-hmm. get at. I began writing poems, trying to get at this process, at at what it means to have an intimate witness, and how I began mm-hmm. to take the idea of of having an intimate witness and and create poems that where the speaker is an intimate witness to an occasion. And mm-hmm. to answer your to answer your question, then I, the poems just came pouring out of me. I was just, I, after after her stroke. I mean, I got a phone call from a colleague of hers, and the colleague said, and I'll never forget these words: "She will never practice again." And I got this phone call the day before I had one of those checkup appointments. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, it just it really it really threw me. And then I, be, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't not write. But it was yeah. some time after that I began to think that the poems were coalescing into a book. At first, I really didn't know that, but I was mm-hmm. not just writing for myself. I really, I, you know, that it was. They weren't uh-huh. so private. I mean, this wasn't a. Um, uh, it, it wasn't an exercise, and it wasn't a diary. Right. I had a mm-hmm. sense of an audience from the get-go. And you wrote so beautifully for the audience. Just your use of form is so stunning. I, I love how 
form becomes so playful and alive in your hands. It's it's something I think that really characterizes your work because you you write in so many different genres and so many different forms, and it feels as if there's such a love of language that that finds its way into these different forms, lots of wordplay, and uh, and I just I adore that and how carefully you pay attention to to the meanings of words and the sounds of words and how they work together. It's just such a delight and. I would love to hear a little bit about your just your relationship with language as you're doing this this word play and how how that informs your explorations in these different forms and genres that you work with, especially within this book you you have such a wide variety of of craft within this collection and i would just I would just want to hear about how how you experience language. Well, um, (laughs) there's, first of all, there's vocabulary, uh, which feels different from me. That's language. And then there's there's the construction of something, the making with language. And you're right. There are many, many, many different uh, formal forays in this book because I, I set myself a kind of challenge as I realized the poems were going along. I thought, I, of course, I need to say some things about my life because, uh, of course, people need to know the backstory. This is a book with a story. It's all about something. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to just write a whole bunch of straight narrative confessional poems. Not that I have any objection to those, by the way. Um, uh, I, I don't. Uh, but I've done that, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to repeat that. I wanted to find mm-hmm. all kinds of entry points into the amazing conversation and dialogue and that the examined life provokes. So mm-hmm. all of the different forms are different way, entrance points. They're, they're thresholds into examination. So some of them are, you know, are quite traditional, a villanelle or a sonnet, because I was trying to get at, especially with re, re, repeated forms, the strange kind of language that someone with aphasia has, which is quite repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other ways, I was just trying to get at the li- the little litanies that would rise in me of things that I would have liked to have said and didn't say or ways mm-hmm. to describe this, this, uh, this relationship that now uh, um, is increasingly rare. So, um, I, I was really aware of an audience, and I was aware of an audience of poetry readers, and I kept mm. coming across different things. Like, I was taking French, and in some ways, um, having to express yourself in another language, uh, it, break, you know, it breaks open certain certain possibilities. And I, mm-hmm. I, of course, I, I live in Canada. I had to compose a letter in French to someone, 
and I didn't really want to make any mistakes. So I'm I'm uh, uh-huh. looking around, and I, I I use Google Translate all the time. It's a, it, <laughs> not necessarily reliable, by the way, but uh, and so I I, 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 I kind of got into WikiHow, and there's a, there in WikiHow is this whole little series of instructions how to say thank you in French, and. And it gets, you know, it gets more and more, the thank yous become more and more ornate, deeper and deeper, more and yeah. more extensive. And I saw that and I had been trying to, you know, I've been thinking of ways to try to both thank my therapist because mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have such huge gratitude um, for her help and I'm really for, for where I've ended up in life. And Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I, I just didn't want to write, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And and so so I thought, oh, this is a this is a form. All these different types yeah. of ways of saying thank you, and I can then and I that poem has both prose sections and sections in line. Mm-hmm. So I really began playing, and. Uh, I, I love the sense of play in the book and the sense of play that, that I, in some ways, that I had to have. And also that after a while, um, deep conversations in therapy give you, have that sense of play. I mean, you don't know where you're, I mean, you start out someplace, you don't know where you're going to go. It's, uh, there's, so, there's so many surprises, but at the same time, at the end of 45 minutes, and I say in that poem, at the end of two 45-minute sessions, since I, I never got anything done in 45 minutes, um, and <laughs> I needed an hour and a half. I needed 90. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, and luckily, this relationship, because it had gone on for decades, she understood that, and we made an, we made arrangements for that. And oh, in that in that time, um, in that in the time the the time of of I know it sounds a strange thing to say how how the ninety minutes literally plays out. Then there, there's a sense of the poem playing out, and there's a there's a, mm. there's there's whimsy in these poems. There's humor. I I hope yes. in these poems there is definitely humor. Yes. Oh, oh good. I'm gl- I'm gl- I'm glad you I'm glad you smiled sometimes um, because <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I let, there's a whole range of human emotion within this collection. It's it's stunning and so enjoyable. I'm, Oh, good. I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm, I'm very moved that you say that. I, I did want to have, I wanted to paint with the full palette of emotions, and, and I you al- did so also beautifully. Well, all I can say is thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I obviously, I obviously had a, had an interviewer who, who is my best reader. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and speaking of reading, I would love for you to read a poem from the collection, um, you know, of your choice, so the listeners can get a sense, just a little taste, to be found in this book. I'm going to, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to read the second poem in the book because it okay. talks about the situation. Because this book Wonderful. isn't only about. 
um, uh, an analyst having a stroke and closing a practice. It is about an analyst having a stroke and closing a practice and returning to a girlhood talent, a talent for painting that becomes the rescuing of the coda of her advanced age uh, and her engagement with painting. So this is the Wonderful. first part of a, a of that story. Although um, the book, you know, the poems aren't always exclusively narrative by any means. But mm-hmm. here's this one called "The Analyst Draws." I love this one. Thanks. And there's a U in the poem, and the U is the analyst. Two days after your stroke, they hold out the crayon you vigorously reject. Four days on, without language, you do what you loved before language. Pick up a pencil and draw. Do you know how much raw rejection you take? You asked me. One of the times we thought we'd ended therapy. Then said your Radcliffe professor taught your studio class. All drawing is thought. But to you, abstraction was lying. All you did was draw your father failing, then dying. So when that man stalked to your easel to deliver his raking critique, you walked away from the studio, not to touch a brush for 30 years. Brushes you exchanged for words, drawing from what you heard, the lines of your patient's inner lives, teasing out patterns for the easing of the raking, no, the aching you saw. So, draw as I was drawn to you, as you drew me to you, till I could walk away, as you now draw away. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to hear that in your own voice. And I think that this poem so perfectly captures the wordplay that I mentioned. I love how you explore all the different definitions of draw. You have, you know, drawing from what you heard as I was drawn to you as you now draw away, plus the actual act, creative act of drawing. And that, you know, that just beautiful wordplay is so, so present throughout all of your work. I think even like in Alphabetique, you have the wonderful play oh, yeah. with all the different letters of the alphabet. <laughs> and, uh, and so yeah, I loved I, writing I that. that. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, it's so uh, much um, fun. It, there is, there, there is a, there's a way in which uh, I don't, I don't, in Alphabetique, which is a, a different book um, of prose <laughs> poems called um, the um, uh, 26 Characteristic Fictions, they uh, that's more in, that the wordplay there is more intentional but here uh-huh. uh in these poems what would happen is i would latch onto a word inside the poem and then it would start mm-hmm. spinning out 
almost, um, you know, it, it was, it, when you're taught to write a sestina, something I'm not very good at, by the way, um, <laughs> you're taught to, to choose words that are flexible, that have flexible me- meaning yeah. and flexible parts of speech. But I would just, uh, I didn't do that intentionally. There, was, there wasn't that choice. It just came up, and I just, I had an awareness mm-hmm. of it and went, whoa. And then it would come back, and I would be able to use it again, and I'd be able to use it again. Part of that mm-hmm. is that I've been writing for a long time. So there's a there's a kind of um, there's an intimate uh, knowledge of craft there you know mm-hmm. and real pleasure in craft and I've taught yeah. this to so many people o- over the years that it just it's just there it's you know it it, it, it mm-hmm. it's it's fluid it's it's inside the process I'm not. Uh, grasping at it or going outside the poem to get it it's just it's there it's mm-hmm. present and there for me i know, i know it and i know it the way uh, uh one acquires another language um and if mm-hmm. if one uses it a lot then there there is there's that intimate sense of of another language and it's so beautiful. It definitely made me look at words in a fresh way, which I always appreciate when I read someone's work. And I love how the collection becomes a conversation with language. You know, as you mentioned, your therapist had to, to relearn language all over again. And I think you help the reader relearn language too, just because of how you use it. And it's just just gorgeous. Um, another thing that is really a hallmark of your work that I appreciate so much is your fearlessness as a writer and your ability to hold nothing back. And um, I should mention that the first time I read your work, I don't remember the anthology or the, the name of the poem, which I should have hunted down, but it's the poem that that has the image um, of the, the smoky smell of Menzies. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I remember I read, that poem. <laughs> and, which I loved. It was the first time I had read your work. And, I, and because you don't think anything is too much information in your work, I'll share that I think about that poem every month. <laughs> 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 and it's, so, so your work oh, is gee, wow. I think your work on a, on a monthly basis. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so there, it's, you know, it's rare that a poem sticks with me. So it's so alive with me all the time. So I just wanted to share with you that your work has has stayed with me um, for a long time, that particular one. And I I just would love to, and I should mention too, that that poem really, for me, helped give me permission as a writer to be more honest about my body and my life and my own work. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I wonder whether... Any writers gave you the permission to be so free in your work or how how you found that courage within yourself to be so frank and so open as a writer uh, you know there there's there there that's a there's a layered answer to that um <laughs> first of all i want to thank you for uh, um Holding that poem as a talisman, uh, and yes. I'm, I, it's, uh, I'm very, 
I, I'm I'm amused. I wouldn't have thought. I I never thought of it that way. And now 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 I'm really enjoying the fact that uh, that that was your first encounter with with me and with my work. Um, there is when I when I started off writing poetry. Um, I was. I took a class with. I took. There were two courses I took simultaneously, and this was at Binghamton University. And um, one was a workshop with Milton Kessler, and he uh, was teaching Sylvia Plath, uh, Anne Sexton, and Robert Lowell, and they were using their lives. So there were those examples <laughs> of of poets who were <laughs> using their lives, and that excited me. I thought. I have things in my life that I can use, but of course my life is not as grand or patrician as Robert Lowell. I have a working class background <laughs> and a different a different sense of what it what, uh, what what the shape of a life is. And I also mm-hmm. thought I want to write about things that people hardly ever write about, but that I want to read about. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 when I when I you know could write a line like the smoky smell of menses that's and that's in a poem that I wrote in the eighties um, uh-huh. uh, that's like, like the nineteen eighties that's a really long time ago uh, then but that's that's coming out of my my personal experience and a gamble that I made that. If I felt something, and if I reacted to something, there must be other people who were having the same feelings and reacting. I, I did not feel, and do not feel, that I am unique in the world. Uh, I, I feel that I am human and connected, and that if I have a response... Uh, it's the Dunian, the John Donne, no man is an island. Let's mm-hmm. say no human being is an island to just sort of yeah. uh, <laughs> degender that. But um, uh, and it was uh, the 17th century metaphysical poets like Donne and George Herbert. I was reading at the same time as the confessional poets, mm-hmm. and that, that. those are. Those are huge influences on me, and they and the seventeenth century poets especially still remain an influence on me and I began reading you know it's a George Herbert's having arguments with god he's uh, he's upset he's uh, he he feels inadequate, he expresses all of this. I, I read Shakespeare sonnets, and there's Shakespeare whining. Oh, I'm not famous enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And I thought, this is great. This is great. I can whine in poetry. I can. Do, I mean, let's let's have everything in poetry. And it, part of it was um, my own uh, youthful. Uh, grandiosity that said I, I if I'm going to do this I have to lay claim to um the the things that that I that I own and and what is that mm-hmm. I own my experience mm-hmm. that's 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 what I've got and yeah. so so I so I went for it and then later oh. I had help 
<laughs> um, mm-hmm. because my because my therapist was I never brought poems into therapy. Therapy was not mm-hmm. about art, and it certainly wasn't about critiquing my poems or anything like that. Uh, and and mm-hmm. uh, that never happened. But I did bring to therapy all of the problems of worrying about what you've decided to do, all the problems of mm-hmm. deciding to do something and then having a bad critical reaction to it, all the problems of of rejection and all of the problems yeah. of persistence and stamina. I mean, those are... Those are emotional issues, but they do impact the way we, well, certainly the way I have proceeded through my art. It's, uh, mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of courage that I have natively, and then there's the courage that I've learned through having that intimate witness and finding that courage inside myself literally encouraged by another person. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Could you please read another poem from your collection? I could. I could. Now, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see, I'm just going to read a little part of a poem um, okay. called Paid Love. And then oh, I, I do have, I do have a poem that I'd like to read that occurs more toward the end of uh more toward the end of the book. And but paid oh, love I, love I wrote uh because and this is a this is a brand new book and I switched poems around in at the last minute in the order and if you can believe this you uh, uh and anybody who's listening to this can hear me turning pages because <laughs> I need to find this poem that I that I that I moved around at the last minute. Ah, I found it. So, uh, and this is just just a, I'll just read a little tiny bit of this. Um, Wonderful. Paid love, but you paid her, didn't you? Certainly, I say. Isn't love free? You paid her to listen for 1,294 hours. (laughs) Say you were in an accident. Say you had to begin a series of procedures. Um, Say you had to go back to that office again, endure the surgery, then perform the hours of post-op exercises. I'm just reading parts of the poem out. And we'll read a little bit of the end. But you paid her, didn't you? Okay. How that question endures. But it was paid love, wasn't it? Where else in life is the necessity for payment so clear? And I just, I, because I, 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 I had a sense, I did have somebody ask me that. I, you know, they couldn't understand why I was so upset and clearly so uh, that it really was, like, you know, I adore my therapist and I adored her and wanted to somehow make a, a kind of holding area for those feelings and for her quite remarkable 
enterprise of reclaiming her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it was. It was important to me to explain some of this to people. Uh, And that's not necessarily the poem I I would choose to totally represent the book, but I just felt that somehow it needed to be slipped into this conversation that we were having. Yeah, and I definitely had the sense that someone had asked you that and that, that you needed to respond in a in a way that beyond probably that actual conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah, I very much appreciated it. Oh. And there was one other one you wanted to read? Yeah. So this poem occurs almost at the end of the book. And it, um, it's called In Our Unexpected, in our unexpected future, and the in this poem, I'm talking about what lasts because you expect your therapist to remember the events of your life, mm-hmm. and of course, after her stroke, she had such a severe memory deficit that. I could no longer expect her to do that. And at the same time, I should say that we we have a kind of and have still a post-therapy relationship because her long-term memory, long, long-term, um, is still... Um, to some degree, functioning so that she 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 does remember patients that she's had that and people she's known f- for decades. It's just that the mm-hmm. generally she doesn't remember, um, and that's how we were able to reconnect. But this is mm-hmm. this is a poem that occurs as we are in an art museum. And uh, and I believe me, I never expected to be visiting art museums with my former analyst. <laughs> um, I mean, this is this is a very this this relationship has you know taken an incredible turn, and that is quite devastating. It's devastating, and at the same time, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So we're looking we're looking at portraits of people. Love sadness prances across the flounces of peach-gowned women in old-fashioned portraits. As an anniversary presses us toward them. Stick, stick, the sound of your cane tip on marble. All their agitated longings and fears pulse through their rooched necklines, palpate in their taffeta waistlines, outliving their societies, pillars and palaces burnt in a blink. The painter berobed their dreads in clothing, uncomfortable ruffles of hopes that billow below such careful faces their moody moods hiding in folds of silk, surviving silk. For frocks outlast pillars. 
feelings outlive frocks. The immaterial storms through a force beyond years, a mere four since you were nearly felled. It isn't what happened that lasts. Not art either, but the savory core. What's felt? We relish your reprieve as if we'd licked all the way through the paint, leaving wet marks to vanish from gowns long gone, but not. Oh, it's a beautiful. It's a weird. Oh, thanks. It's a, it's a, it's a weird uh, conclusion that I, I had to draw that, that the most ineffable um, aspects of the human condition, what we feel, our passions, mm-hmm. our intensity, our hatreds, our loves, our, our senses of being thrilled, our disappointments, that, curiously, is what lasts. It, it's in the, their feelings. They're, they're, they're in the ether. They're, they're, they're not materialized except, of course, in actions, one could say, or in words, etc. But when, when those mm-hmm. actions are gone, when the words are gone, when the architecture is gone, those feelings are there still. And I love how you describe it as the savory core, because that becomes a a very felt thing, savory. I thought was such a wonderful word choice there. And, yeah, it becomes delicious, even though it's immaterial. Yeah, there is a lot of food imagery, uh, to my surprise. There's a lot of food imagery in this book. The very first opening poem begins as I'm cooking at a stove. Yes. um, uh, The the sensuousness, the the sensuousness of food, I I think, has has a special dimension in in these, uh, oh, headier ideas, I suppose, I, I, I would have to say. Yes, definitely. Oh, thank you. I'm curious to know, has your analyst read this collection? Is I don't know whether she's really able to read at this stage. Um, uh, no, she has not read it. She uh, has it in her hands, ah. and she's thrilled. Uh, but she really can't read well enough to read the poems. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of going on. They're, they go back and forth in time. They, they have a, um, they're, they're sensuous, but they also have a level of abstraction in them that I, I pretty much knew she wasn't going to be able to follow even if I read them aloud to her. But I am going to try to to make some audio recordings for her, just so that oh, she can have them. Uh, and um, because you know, it's it's not a book that she's going to sit down and read. There, she can mm-hmm. read with help. Kind of, she can she could go through a poem line by line, but it would take a long time. And uh, and a, lo- a lot of stamina. And uh, yes. at this point, <laughs> let's not put her through that. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I'm so glad you put all of us through it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> that was kind of the wrong word choice there, but, but I, I'm so grateful for this collection. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I know it's something I'll um, return to regularly. I, I just think that thank the... I'm thank thank you thank you for your appreciation of this and and for your sense that the poems are beautiful. Um, I'm 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 not against beauty. I'm I'm kind of all I'm all for beauty, uh, especially in situation, especially in tragic situations. I mean, there's yeah. this. this in some ways, these poems are are about various tragedies, and in other yeah. ways, they're about ways to recover. And, and part mm-hmm. of the recovery is through making, and part of the yeah. joy of making is making something beautiful. N- not all poets yeah. th- think yeah. that, um, but I do think that... If if the circumstances are desolate, to make something in that kind of desolation is, mm-hmm. and to make it colorful and vibrant, um, is it, it 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 feels like beauty has the weight of response. Yes, I am. Um, I have a memoir coming out later this year about my mom's suicide. And being able to write about it and try to create something beautiful out of my pain saved me, I think. And it is. I'm so grateful it, uh, for that. I look. I look forward to that memoir. Um, it's, you Thank know, you. that kind of a situation marks a life forever. And it's always hitting you. You know, you walk around the corner and then whap it. You know, it the, yeah. the thought of it, it hits you again. And um, the the whole the challenge, I think, of writing about personal situations is to um, get to that place of candor that you that you can achieve when you become the intimate witness to yourself. And then mm-hmm. can that's where the humor can come from. That's yeah. where a certain a brightness can come from. That's where um, conclusions can come from. People are, uh, who are afraid to use their lives as subjects often worry about uh oh i don't want to you know I, I just don't want to muck around in the swamp of my own feelings and and frankly i don't want to do that either i don't that's not what i want to do in in, in using my life uh-huh. but, but the life is it's, it's material um uh to make from and yeah. Yeah. and in that sense uh you can't really use the poem, or I would say the memoir, to process feelings. If you're using it to process feelings, then that really is um, in the realm of art therapy. 
And that really is mm-hmm. in the realm of self-expression. Mm-hmm. Which is where your life is. craft comes in. You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because you yeah. are architecting um, a, a special holding area for emotions and events um, as, yeah. as they unfold in a piece of literature. And you're deeply aware of an audience and guiding an audience through an experience. And you're aware of what your audience can take and what your audience might be interested in, um, for Mm -hmm. heaven's sakes, which is not every (laughs) single minute of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Even the most patient reader. I mean, we don't want to try their patience. (laughs) No, no, and I think you, you know, you you craft your experience so beautifully in this collection, and I love how how the book really does feel like a love letter to your therapist or a thank you letter. You mentioned a couple of thank you poems um, that you have, which I I love. I, I feel like the whole book is so much about gratitude, and you have the lines. Um, from the one about uh, how to say thank you in French, mm-hmm. merci for seeing me to be seen, important thing in life most. And I feel like you see the world with such clarity and you help us see in turn, and I want to thank you for that in English. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm just <laughs> I'm grateful for, for this book and, and all that you put in it, into it. And I'm wondering if you have any forthcoming events or publications that you would like to announce. Um, and if you could let listeners know how to find you online, that would be wonderful. Well, you can find me online at www.mollypeacock.org. Uh, if you just Google Molly Peacock, it's, it comes up first, and all of my events are on that um, I think kind of beautiful website. Uh, uh, and my uh, next event is in New York City with longtime friend Phyllis Levin. Uh, we have been showing one another poems, our poems, uh, for, well, about 40 years at this point. Uh, we've seen oh, almost every wonderful. poem the other person has written. So that's pretty amazing, oh, and we are reading. That is, yeah. oh, it, it really is. Um, we both feel so lucky. We're reading on February 28th at uh, New York University Bookstore, uh, 726 Broadway, just below Astor Place, at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Tuesday, February 28th, and you can go to my website and and see all of the events as they unfold. I know that this um, show reaches beyond. In New York City, I have events in uh, Connecticut and events, of course, across Canada because I uh, I live in Toronto um, as well as... As does uh, my sister. Oh, well, terrific. I, we have to find <laughs> each other. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I will tell her to go to one of your events. And when you visit Toronto, you must be in touch with me. I will. I would love that. Uh, so, well, so yes, so that's you. great. The Toronto launch will be in March, and all that information is right on uh, the website. Okay, thank you so much, and I'm so grateful for you being here, Molly. 
This has been such a, a glorious treat for me. I uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart, and thank you to everyone who's tuning in. And um, it's been again, I'm Gail Brandeis. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so our next show will be March 6 at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll have the Poet Laureate of the United States himself, Juan Felipe Herrera, here. So thank you again to Molly. And on behalf of To Ferret Talk Interviews, here's a brief word from Donna Verstein, founder and publisher of To Ferret Journal. Thanks all. Have a wonderful month. And thank you again, Molly. It's been a delight. Hi, this is Donna Bearstein, founder and publisher of To Ferret Journal. We first began to publish authors of different faiths and cultural backgrounds in 2004. I had recently been introduced to the word to ferret, which means heart, compassion, and reconciliation of opposites. Thirteen years after the launch of our magazine, our world finds itself perhaps more divisive than ever. Reconciliation of seeming opposites is key. I truly hope you enjoy these new to ferret talk interviews as much as we do. I hope, too, that you will visit our website at toferretjournal.com to subscribe to our quarterly magazine, participate in our writing retreats and community forums, or donate to our mission of promoting tolerance through literature and art. Thank you so much for listening.